Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim, and I'm disappointed that I, I, I didn't get to intro the show again. I'm sorry, Tim. Aaron's you back. better. L.A. Yeah, ooh. That was an exciting trip. Did you uh, did you star in a couple of films filmed in someone's basement? Well, you know, I uh, I was pitching some movies. I was you know taking taking some meetings, you know, and uh, you know I was pitching Funny Books the movie. Who's playing me? Is it um, Butler? I always imagined myself as a fat Gerard Butler. Actually, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt will will be assuming the role of Paula Ponte. That's okay with me. Yeah, I'm happy. I got Jack Black. Yeah, Wayne, however, got that guy who plays Urkel. <laughs> yeah, because he looks just like me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you know, uh, I never I, go full Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> full Wayne. <laughs> full full Wayne. frontal Wayne. <laughs> <Show time. scary> <laughs> uh, I am not making the show art for that one. Yes, you are. Is, you are contractually bound. <laughs> Contractually bound. Uh, Wade passed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I, I was in uh, uh, California all last week, which is why I wasn't on last week's show. And my, I got caught up in the uh, whole American Airlines pilots, you know, blue flu thing going on. So I was supposed to fly up bright and early Saturday morning, and I didn't wind up getting out till uh, afternoon. Uh, I was very, very unhappy about that. What is the blue flu? Does it have anything to do with blue ice? Uh, no. Ooh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I know. They're all hopped up on uh, Walter White's uh, you know, methamphetamines. No, that would be awesome. But no, um, uh, the, the, uh, you know, of course, American Airlines is restructuring in bankruptcy, and they're having some labor union issues, and so their pilots are calling in sick uh, you know, to pressure the airline. Which you know always seems counterintuitive to me. You know your 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 company's in bankruptcy, but you're going to call in sick. You know seems like it just makes it easier for your company to you know go out of business. So I don't quite understand that negotiation tactic. Fight the man, Aaron. That's right. That's right. But yeah, you know I was I was in California, and you know you would think that I'd, I'd be out there doing fun things, you know, in addition to work things. But I mean my 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 day started at eight a.m. and ended at uh, usually around 9.30 or 10 each night that I was there. So I never had any time to go out and, and see a comic shop, which is the whole reason to travel, isn't it? To go see comic shops that you don't get to see otherwise. I was I'm very disappointed, disappointed, Aaron. On I, TV this week, I found out that there was a steampunk bar in L.A., and I highly expected you to, to write a review for Ideology of Madness. That would have been, I would, totally would have done that. I totally would have done that. But you didn't. Except, uh, you know, I... I <laughs> I moved my hotel on Friday night closer to the airport, so I was actually in downtown L.A. as opposed to being out in one of the suburbs where I'd been all week long. Well, and well, uh, that, that, and he didn't have any gears to slap on his jacket or any goggles. That's true. He couldn't go to the steampunk bar. That's true, but uh, – But you could get gears. You just have to stop by a local hardware store and you know get a glue stick and glue it on, and you're set. Well, I was uh, I was real happy to get into my hotel because it was the first comfortable bed I had been in in a week, and you know, so I, I decided Friday night I am living large. I am going to bed. So <laughs> <laughs> I get in bed, and at one o'clock in the morning, uh, American Airlines calls me to let me know that my flight's being delayed, 
And so, you know, it took me a while to get back to sleep. At 3 o'clock in the morning, the bachelorette party in, in the uh, patio bar downstairs goes off the rails with woots, all kinds of woot action. And so, you know, I'm looking out, out, out the window at 3 a.m., and there's this part of me that says, I should probably go down there. And then there was the larger part of me that just wanted to say, get off my lawn. So. <laughs> Wasn't much rest last week. I expected a review of that bachelorette party, Aaron. <laughs> you are slacking off on your responsibilities lately. I, no I, steampunk bar, no bachelorette party. Why no did you even go to L.A.? I, exactly. What a waste. Well, but, you know, I did, I did wind up, you know, having producers attached and a director attached to Funny Books the Movie. So, well, starting there, there we are. Love it. Hey, who's playing Aaron? Is it Patrick Stewart? <laughs> is it clint eastwood <laughs> yeah thanks paul thanks. wow appreciate you wow jackass uh, I, I probably shouldn't be mean you gave me joseph gordon levitt <laughs> <laughs> no christian bale oh <laughs> uh, he's angry he's gonna be doing batman voice the entire time though hello and welcome to funny books with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> I, I just assumed it would be bruce willis <laughs> Oh my god! You need to do an entire show in the Batman. <laughs> Drink lots of tea, Aaron. <laughs> Soothing tea. So, Paul. Yes, sir. There is word on the street that you've sold all your floppies. The word on the street is valid. So this week, I um, election intervention come over, and you know, ladies say, you know, you, you can't keep all this stuff if you want to keep a woman. It sure sounds like it. Yeah, and I thought you learned your lesson last time you tried to do this, and you got that uh, citation for indecent exposure. <laughs> Wrong floppy. Wrong floppy. Oh. <laughs> oh, this makes more sense as the show title, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so uh, basically my comics have been sitting in a storage unit for you know, the better part of six months, maybe even more, just catching dust. So it's not really – we, we've talked about how we don't really have much time to go back and read the old stuff because we constantly have a cycle of new stuff that we have to read for the podcast. And so I, I, I made the executive decision to sell my floppy collection. Um, I kept a, a, a small box of things that I couldn't part with, um, things that perhaps have not been collected in trade or the trade is out of print, stuff like that. Um, you know, just issues I couldn't part with. Uh, but other than that, I, I sold. Uh, I mean, I had already gotten rid of most of about over half of my collection, so I only had about ten long boxes left. Right. But um, I went ahead and sold my my ten long boxes, and uh, you know, I, I'm I, I'm pretty happy with my decision. You know, anything I want to keep, I've decided. You know, we talked a little bit about digital comics on the pot. We talk a little, little bit about yeah, digital yeah, comics. We every talk, once in a we, we've touched on that subject briefly, Paul. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I remember one time I compared them to CDs. Like, you know, once digital media kind of became popular with CDs, I just kind of – I burned all my CDs to a hard drive and put them in a box and stuck them in the attic. And that's essentially what I've decided to do with my comics. Anything I need, need, I'll get in trade or I'll get digitally. In fact – uh, this weekend, Comixology has Identity Crisis and Brad Meltzer's uh, Justice League run for ninety nine cents an issue. Uh, I'll, I'll, 
you know, I'll, I'll get those digitally and, you know, it, it, I, I would prefer to have them digitally or in trade than having the floppies. So I am, I'm, I'm out of, of course, I'm still buying new floppies to support my comic <laughs> shop. So I'm sure we'll be having this conversation again in a couple of years. <laughs> so, okay, let me get this right. You, you have sold off your 10 long boxes so that you wouldn't have to pay for storage on them anymore. Correct. Okay. But you're continuing to buy single issue floppies. Yeah, but like the new floppies, basically, I read them and I figure out a way to get rid of them if I can, you know, as much as I can. Like, I'll send you guys a couple of copies. I'll, you know, I'll give them to friends. I'll just hand them out. I mean, things like that. You know, I'll give them to my boss. I'll, you know, leave them on playgrounds in the bathroom. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. So. Again, this is really more of a uh, comic shop welfare program than it is anything else. Correct. Okay. All right. I see where you are there. Buying the floppies because I I, I like my comic book shop guy, so I feel <clears throat> I, I, I I would feel shitty just abandoning him. But uh-huh. we've had this conversation that if he if he fucks up even once, <laughs> <laughs> he is on notice. I, you know, he, he he almost did it by putting Deathstroke in my fucking pull box. I was just gonna say, wasn't it? A few if there's ago? one more email, yeah. If there's one more email, or if I get Deathstroke number fourteen in my box. So out. help me God, if there's another <laughs> fucking Rob Liefeld book in my pull. You're a you dead know, man. You I are, would support this move if I start getting some of the comics that you uh, that you've got. Like I know you've been buying Flash all this time. If you have the physical copies of Flash, I will fully support you if you mail those to me. Yeah, I do have some actually. I, I, I sent them to you, Wayne. There you go. See, look at that. It's it it it, it enables my co-hosts. Hey, you can store that shit. I don't want to. Paul, I think that you've made made a a, a big move here. And we'll check yeah. in with you periodically to see how you're doing. Paul's life choices. Please right. yeah, Paul's getting rid of all his floppies, and I'm, I'm watching the uh, the local comic shop get ready for their quarter sale. So I'll probably be buying a ton more. You see, know, I had a full box. Speaking of Rob Liefeld, one of those long boxes uh-huh. was pretty much the full run of all the Image Extreme books. Yeah. Yeah. that i got at one of those quarter sales so it was just it was time to part you know rob liefeld and i were going through a thing (laughs) he talked about me bad on twitter yeah 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 sorry about that yeah so but no i i i I am i am really happy with my decision i um just remember paul it's not you it's batman (laughs) (laughs) i uh i took a little bit of that money and they had um I was able to get a deal on uh, the entire Jeff Loeb run of Superman in trade. Uh, you know, it, Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly. I don't know if you guys remember, but that was back in the early 2000s. Jeff Loeb was on Superman and Joe yeah. Kelly was on Action Comics, and they numbered the books with the little Superman symbol on them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they, they collected them that way, too, which I didn't realize. So they collected them in the order of the yellow Superman symbol on the cover. It wasn't like a full run of Superman. It was Action Comics, Superman, Action Comics, Superman. Right. So I was able to get that full run in trade. So I'm pretty happy about that. So wait a minute. You turned in all your floppies and they gave you a Superman trade? Like you couldn't get like some magic cards or some shit? (laughs) The best you could do is a Superman trade? I got got a good amount of money. However, I used some to purchase oh, some super- okay so it was you that made the terrible decision all right <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't the deal that was me making a purchase with some okay. of the money now paul did you trade out your single issue dark knight returns i did actually did you really 
Yeah, th- those were in shit condition, though. Because mm. <laughs> those were the original copies. I mean, those were in really poor condition. So dog-eared, rolled up in the back of your pocket, the whole the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. They were they were pretty bad. I mean, 1988, I think. 1986, wasn't it? Yeah, you could be right. Yeah, uh, yeah but <clears throat> well, 1986, 16 years ago, and we finally got an adaptation of the movie this week. I'm sorry, how many years ago? 26 years ago, and we finally got <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, did, did you watch uh, DKR? I did. I oh. did watch DKR. That's right. I read your crap review of it on the site. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like it very much. I'm Paula Ponte, and I'm I, I I don't like Dark Knight Returns. It doesn't it doesn't scratch my itch. I didn't say the movie was bad. I said it was an adaptation of a story that I don't love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I'm I haven't seen the movie because I haven't uh, haven't picked it up. I'm not running out to get it because I'm not really a big fan of the Dark Knight Returns either. Jesus Christ! What is wrong with you people? Uh, I hated the artwork. It's not the Batman type Batman story that I want to see. And I really just don't want to see old retired heroes coming out of retirement. It's not it doesn't hit what I want out of comics. I I want to see the hero in his prime. So let me clarify how I feel about the Dark Knight Returns. I love the concept. I love the last half. I really dislike the first half. I don't like Carrie Kelly Robin. I don't like the mutants. God, I love Carrie Kelly Kelly Robin. I will say I love Carrie Kelly Robin. I don't like the mutants. I do love Carrie Kelly Robin. I am offended as a Superman fan by the story. Ah. And I don't like the Two-Face. I mean, I thought that story was all too quickly. Point is, the the part of the story that they're adapting in the Dark Knight Returns Part 1 is my least favorite part of the story. Aaron. So, so hello and welcome to Funny Books with Aaron and Tim. (laughs) Aaron, get the steel chairs. We're going to go WWE on their ass when they turn their back. I am all over that. I, you know, I'm a big fan of all four issues of that book. Now, obviously, the uh, third and fourth are the uh, my preferred books uh, in that uh, miniseries. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the adaptation. Um, very faithful to the book. It's almost a panel for panel re- recreation. You don't have the uh, the uh, internal monologues. That's what I was about to ask. What did you think about that decision? I thought I've it worked. Heard, I say, I've heard other people who have uh, watched it, you know, be kind of torn on that. Like they weren't sure if it would work in the cartoon, but they felt like they were missing something because that's a big part of the original story was yeah. the getting inside Batman's head. And that is one of the things I do enjoy about the original story. It did a better job getting inside Batman's head than anything that had previously been done. I thought it worked. Um, I also, you know, I was real dubious about casting Peter Weller as uh, the voice of Batman, you know, because, you know, I'm very much a if you've got Kevin Conroy, why the hell would you use anybody else? But I thought Peter Weller was a a really strong casting choice. I I very much enjoyed his performance. I did, too. Uh, He he had that just world weary yet strong uh, voice about him. Uh, I, I, I thought Peter Weller was a terrific choice and, uh, I am thrilled, you know, and again, I, if you're going to have a Joker in an animated feature, why wouldn't you use Mark Hamill? But they didn't do that. But they're, and I can't, never can remember this guy's name, but the guy that played, played Benjamin Linus in uh, lost is playing the role of the Joker in the next movie. And you got to hear a little bit of him in this one. Uh, well, and it's not their fault. They didn't get Mark Hamill. He's. He doesn't want to do that role anymore. Really? 
Yeah, it's it's his choice. He said he's retired it after that last Batman game. Huh. That he's he feel like he feels like he's done with the character. He did enjoy it. He's not uh, he's not discounting the ability to come back at some point and do it again once or twice. But for the most part, he's done and he's ready to move on to other roles. Well, translation, I uh, translation. I I want more money for the next job. <laughs> exactly. Actually, exactly. he said he, he said he's afraid of wearing out his welcome with it. Because he thinks he's done everything he can do with it, and he doesn't think he can surpass anything he's already previously done. Now, you know, I've heard a lot of criticism about the movie in that, you know, it doesn't adjust its, uh, you know, uh, future story based on what's happened in the books and what's happened in the animated series. Uh, You know, that it's stuck to the continuity that was established in the original book. And I really appreciate that it did that. I'm glad that they didn't start mucking with the story and, you know... uh, uh, you know, talking about, you know, because there's, there's all these references to, you know, well, we all know what happened to Jason. And of course, in the in the books, they were talking about that before any of that happened. You know, it was before Jason, before the, the Jason stuff happened. So, you know, it's kind of nice that you've still got that point in time. And I heard the, there's still a boombox in it, too. There, There is. And, you know, they, they use the the street language, you know, Billy don't shiv. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the movie I, and and I will say the special features on the blu-ray disc were fantastic uh, there's a terrific uh, Bob Kane documentary um, lots of extra you know special features and whatnot I, I thought it was a, a, a not just a good movie but a good purchase on the disc I mean I probably spent you know three or four hours with that disc it was great how is how is the art for because that was one thing the original had a very stylized art. Yes. And that's one of the things I don't like about it. Because we've I've said this many times before. I'm not really a fan of stylized art well, typically. As I said, the the movie chooses an art the, the movie is very much a panel for panel recreation of the of the comic. So if you don't like the art in the comic, you will not enjoy the art in the movie because it very much apes Frank Miller, Lynn Varley, and uh, Klaus Jansen's style. Correct. It, it very much does. And I mean, there there are actual. I mean, you know, the, there's that whole cover where you've got the silhouette of Batman jumping in front of the uh, lightning bolt. That's in the movie. Um, the the mutant fight scene at the end. I mean, you could open up your comic and follow right along. I mean, the 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 pages and the the screenshots are just almost identical. Yeah, it's one Literally. of those things where that that art style bothers me. It's not that I look at it and I say this is, you know, bad art. It's one of those where I can look at it and just say I know this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, it's a very stylized. I'm sure I'm sure he's a very talented artist, but it's just the style is intentionally artistic more so than I want in the book. Yeah. And I I I got to tell you I just sopped it up with a biscuit. You know, I love that original miniseries and I just really enjoyed this movie and cannot wait for the uh, second part of this to come out. I mean, despite how I felt about the first part, I am looking forward to the second part. The second part is, again, the parts that I really like. I love that Joker issue. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, you know, despite the fact that, yes, it's not a Superman that I like. I, you know, Frank Miller's interpretation of Superman is very different than the Superman I like. I still it's different enjoy as that in offensive, as in he's a government tool. Has well, I no like that interpretation. It's an interpretation, and I like it. I, I, I like you? it as an Elseworlds interpretation. And it's a Batman story. I mean, if I was reading a Superman book, I'd probably be unhappy with that interpretation. But the fact that it's a Batman story and Superman's just a supporting character 
in the story. I didn't have a problem with it. I, my problem is I'm more of a Superman fan than I am a Batman fan. So seeing the character that I like better treated like that, even in a Batman story, uh, really bothers me. I have to honestly say it's one of my favorite depictions of the character. Because you don't... <laughs> You don't have to tear Superman down to build Batman up. But he, and too frequently you know feel, they do that. You know how I feel about Superman. But I gotta say, one of the few things I like about Dark Knight Strikes Back, mm-hmm. that's what it was called, right? Yeah. Um, is when Superman gets the shit kicked out of him. It's, that's it's one like, of the few scenes I like in that series. It's like Wayne wandered into the Republican National Conventions going, whoa, 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 what's with this Barack Obama hate? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I love Superman. I do. But I just, yeah, I mean, I see it as an Elseworlds interpretation, just like Superman, Red Sun, and, and you know, other interpretations of I, Superman that I, I really did. I have, to say, I have to say, you know, the uh, Dark Knight Returns really shaped what I like about Superman. You know, I like the, 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 the way Frank Miller drew him. You know, you had all those powerful silhouettes where all you saw was his chest symbol. You just saw the Superman shield. You know, you had uh, he's just bigger than life. I mean, he's just gigantic on the page, you know, and that really kind of shaped how I enjoy seeing my Superman. You know, I, 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 I really. I, I, sorry, Aaron. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, whereas I don't necessarily agree with. And I, I mean, I wouldn't say it shapes what I love about Superman, but I do think Frank Miller draws a very visually stunning Superman. Absolutely. I used to. Used to draw a very visual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel Dark Knight Returns is a successful adaptation. Yeah. Uh, very much so. And if you love the story, you're going to love the movie. I just, you know, again, it adapted the parts of the story that I, I just, I don't like the mutants, and I don't know why they don't sit well with me. And you know, they they pop up in Scott Snyder's run, and every time they do, it bugs me. Is it because you just, don't shiv? I don't shiv. Paul don't shiv. And Paul don't shiv. All right. Well, you know, another Blu-ray came out this week. What? Another I only Blu-ray. bought one. Well, you know, uh, Avengers, uh, the Avengers came out. Uh, little, uh, there was a little art house film that came out this summer. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. But, uh, Who directed it, that? Woody Allen? Was it lim- Woody Allen? Limited release. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, uh, the Avengers on Blu-ray, finally. Very exciting. Finally. Yeah. yeah, I haven't gone out to buy it yet, but I am incredibly excited about this. Okay, and what I really want to watch is that backup feature, the Marvel short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. It was very good. Now I will tell you that uh, I ordered mine on Amazon. I ordered uh, my DKR and my uh, my Avengers on uh, Amazon and paid for the have it delivered the day it's released uh, uh, thing. And uh, you know, as you know, I was in California last week. And midweek, I got a phone call saying, hey, uh, we'd like you to be in Kansas next week. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm in Kansas, I won't be home to get my Blu-rays. And it would be several days before I got – I'm not going to be able to travel to Kansas. <laughs> I've really got too many things going on. I can't possibly travel to Kansas. <laughs> I, I just figured you'd have your have your wife get it and then overnight it to Kansas. I, uh, I, I watched me some, some Blu-rays this week. I, the, I have to say my Avengers uh, Blu-ray experience was more enjoyable than my IMAX Avengers experience. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I could hear the dialogue because, you know, I didn't have, you know, uh, 300 people in my living room, you know, cheering the movie as I'm trying to watch it. Uh, 
and I could I could actually visualize things on the screen better. You know, sometimes I feel like in the uh, like the scenes with Thanos, you know, that are very dark. Um, I had a hard time making out some of the details on the screen at, at the at the the Cineplex, but you know, on Blu-ray, you could really make out a lot of that detail a lot better. I thoroughly enjoyed the rewatch of it. I'm going to be watching it many, many, many times. Um, I will say I thought the special features on the Blu-ray were lacking. Uh, they're waiting for another edition. That's just as soon as the next movie comes out, they're going to release a super duper deluxe edition. But you know, normally on, sure. on the first release on the DVDs, they at least have a little you know featurette about the comics. You know, they'll mm-hmm. do you know the history of the Avengers. They'll talk about the the characters and whatnot. And you'll get this really nice comic documentary, and they didn't have that on this one. And that's the first Marvel disc I bought that didn't have something like that. Wow. Uh, I was very that's disappointed. Really surprising. That. Uh, they they did have the you know uh, item forty seven the Marvel one shot which was yeah. very enjoyable. Uh, I can't wait to see that. It sounds and looks really good. It's really good. It's really good, and it takes a it takes an element from the movie and turns it into a, to a, to a full story. Very entertaining. Um, I think unfortunately things like that take away from the budget of the rest of the Blu Ray release. So I think the budget for a documentary probably got wrapped up. In the budget, that little short film. You I'm know? sure. I'm sure it was just frustrating that yeah, I got. I there was more. There were more features on my Dark Knight Returns Blu-ray than there were on my Avengers Blu-ray, and I found that frustrating. I was because I was I was all hunkered down, ready to watch you know an hour and a half worth of additional features, and was not present on the Avengers disc. What kind of features did you get? Were there uh... you got deleted scenes? So there are two big deleted scenes with Maria Hill that were originally designed to open the movie and end the movie, and I absolutely see why they deleted those scenes. <laughs> there were were some extended scenes. There's a gag reel. There's um, you know a really kind of a fluff piece on who the Avengers are. You know, you know, with talk talking with Joss Whedon and the different actors in the film, and then of course you've got director's commentary, and uh, I just I was underimpressed. I mean, they did a better job with the Daredevil special features when the Daredevil disc was initially released. They used to have better documentaries about the comic book characters. Yeah. you know, I, I if you watch the Captain America, the Thor, the documentaries on those are just nowhere near as good as they were. For example, like the Daredevil, even the um, the Hulk, the original right. Hulk disc had right. a pretty uh, involved documentary about the comic book. See, and I I, I just love those. And I, they don't even have them on the DC releases anymore. Right. You know, that's all about the movie on those. Yeah. So, Aaron. Sir. Is your next big Blu-ray purchase going to be Dick Tracy on Blu-ray? <laughs> no. <laughs> it comes out. I hate comes that out, movie. Do you? How can you hate Dick Tracy? I gotta hate that movie. That is that one of my movie. favorite comic book movies. Well, okay. First, it's a horrible film, that, and then that. you add in that Warren Beatty's in it. Um, I like Warren Beatty <laughs> with, with Madonna. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything to like there, Paul. Oh, I love that movie. I think it's. Oh, I can't wait for it to be on Blu-ray. I think you got it's, Al Pacino, who you know up to that point had always been a good actor, and then he just turned into a caricature of himself after that. You know, I mean, just blech, an awful movie. Uh, love Dick Tracy. Cannot wait. December 11th. See, all I heard was love Dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I heard. And that will probably be all you'll hear as the bumper on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> New show uh, title. <laughs> I feel like you're living vicariously through me, Aaron. <laughs> uh, so... Let's 
talk about some comics that came out this week. I don't know why. Is that what we do here? Um, the word on the street is we do talk about them eventually, <laughs> especially for people who like to skip just to this part. We should probably <laughs> talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, was Tap this full frontal Wayne though? And I that can't die. <laughs> no, no, it needs to. <laughs> it's killing me. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> this week Tim and I read Talon Number Zero, the uh, the first issue in the new book written by James Tynion the Fourth, co-plotted by Scott Snyder with art by Guillaume March, and um, it is a uh, kind of a spinoff of the Court of the Owl storyline, featuring um, an, an escape artist who was who works. Uh, was by the Court of Owls and uh, escaped to become his own man. And the Court of Owls has is, has been tracking him down ever since. So, uh, Tim, you gave this one a shot. What'd you think? You know, I, it was a it was a good book, Paul. Um, but it wasn't what I was hoping it would be. I guess is the best way to say it. Like I was I was really hoping we would get two or three issues of him fully in the Court of Owls. And instead, they sort of fast-forwarded through that. And I think they're going to be telling that kind of part in flashbacks. So, you know, to me, it was a really good book. I liked it. But the the thing is, is that it wasn't what I was expecting. I I guess uh, that's my opinion. And I didn't read, like, the blurbs about it. So maybe had I done that, I would have known that I wasn't going to get, you know, that kind of story. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, this is a zero-ish issue is going to be when it first starts. But I think you're... Probably pretty, pretty accurate. I think we're going to get his Court of Owls stuff in flashback. Um, but I enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed the issue. I thought it was a good start. Um, I liked the concept. Uh, I, it, I, I learned, even though I, I love the Night of the Owls, Court of the Owls stuff in Batman, you learn more about it, this, uh, learn more about that Court of Owls in this issue than you pretty much do in the entire run of Batman. And, um, I just I like the character. I think it's a little interesting artist considering DC already has one with uh, Mr. Miracle. But I don't know I don't know if he's in the new 52 anyway. Yeah, and he's terrible. So <laughs> I, I what I did I what I liked about it was the art. That was my favorite part of it. There's yeah, the not artist. a whole lot of yeah, there's not a whole lot of colors because his world's been kind of washed out, right? Mhm. And I, I I I loved how they how they played that up. Now, Guillaume March, who did the art, he was the artist on the first arc of uh, Catwoman. So, um, no, there are no sexy, scantily clad women in this book, but you do have some gorgeous pages of art. Uh, I think it was a pretty successful first issue. I think it you know, definitely gets me interested, and I'm definitely going to pick up issue one. Yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was a good book. Like I said, I, maybe I just I was coming in with different expectations, but but it delivered pretty solidly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm James Tynion the Fourth. He wrote the backup in Batman Number Zero. Um, he's co-plotted a couple of things with Scott Snyder. I think this is the first book he's actually done. Well, I say he's done on his own, but Scott Snyder's still co-plot. But I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what this guy, uh, what this guy, I'm, I'm very had his name on, on had, since. Yeah, and I'm very glad that they have a, a vehicle to tell more Court of Owls stories that isn't going to uh, kind of touch off of the Batman books. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I like that concept, and I'd like to see more of it, but the thing is, is that 
you know, I don't think you can keep doing that, especially with uh, death in the family coming up. Yeah, it, it, it's um, I I wonder how long the series is going to last. I wonder how long the concept is going to last. But I'm on board, you know. And uh, you know, speaking of Batman, some big changes in the Batman universe this week with uh, Teen Titans number zero. Oh yeah, the, my god! The book Hold none on. of us have been buying until the zero issue. I bought a lot of zero issues that I haven't been buying the books of though. So, yeah. Paul, I'm really curious because you're the only one other than me that uh, read it. What was your take on the revamped Tim Drake origin? All right, so let's get some spoilers out of the way first. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it for Scott Lobdell, Paul. All right, we're we're, we're going to talk about some spoilers. <laughs> we're just going to spoil a couple of things. Some big some big changes. Tim Drake's parents are still alive in the New Fifty Two, uh, and the- they're in witness protection. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Drake did not discover who Batman was. Are, are, are they going to be on an episode of In Plain Sight? They might be. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Tim Drake's uh, Tim Drake did not discover Batman. Batman basically tested him by, and Tim Drake passed the test, and you know he chose to be Robin. Um, but so, Bruce, but so, he, so instead of Tim essentially, you know, hunting out Batman's secret. Batman stalked Tim Drake? Um, yes and no. Yes, Batman stalked him and had had basically seen him as a potential replacement. Okay, that's creepy. Him. But Tim also was spending all of his time trying to figure out who Batman was because he realized that after uh, – he realized that Robin had been killed and he knew that Batman needed a Robin. So they kept that part of it at least, except Batman knew – Batman was still you know, into it enough – that he knew that Tim was looking for him and he started giving him red herrings and tricking him. And yeah, this sounds so awful. He was well, actually not really needing a Robin because he, he was uh, coherent enough to realize that someone was trying to find him. And yeah, yeah, yeah a couple, there are a couple more changes. They kept about 50% of, the, of Tim Drake's origin and changed about 50%. Um, another big change. Yeah. Well, the biggest change, I think, Tim Drake is not Tim Drake. Drake is his adopted name. It's not his real name. So they they did not reveal what his original last name was, probably a story fodder for a future issue. But Tim Drake is not his real name. And given that his parents are still alive, I'd imagine he's also not Tim Wayne. He was never adopted by Bruce Wayne. So his parents are in in witness protection. So... Because of what he did, he stole all of Penguin's money to give away. Mm-hmm. So Penguin tried to kill him and his family. So he doesn't get to see his parents because they're in witness protection. Correct. Huh. Usually so, the kid goes with, but I guess we didn't do that here. They did not want to. They did not want Tim because he had such potential. They did not want him being dragged into witness protection with him. So they, it, it's it's kind of poorly written because they're like, huh. okay, Batman. They asked of. Batman to take him, not Bruce Wayne. They asked Batman to take care of him. Yeah, but you know, you see Tim Drake sitting next to Bruce Wayne. They're going to put two and two together. But oh, right, yeah, that's just my thinking. It, it is a comic book, but um, this sounds awful. Yeah, the, the, very, very 
big sweeping changes. Obviously, he was never Robin. He always went by the name Red Robin. He did uh, have the Robin costume, though, that he just calls himself Red Robin. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's not it's, like the modern Red Robin costume. He has the costume he wore as Robin. That was the costume he wore. Yeah. So, I mean, again, we're looking at probably like a 50-50 of what was kept and what what got changed with Tim Drake's origin. But I, I'm very curious as to, you know, I read an interview with Scott Lubdell. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he, he was talking about the issue and he's like, he sent it off. He got a call and he said, Hey, um, we're going to make a change to the last page. Cause the last page, what reveals Tim Drake's name is not Tim Drake is it says he is now Tim Drake. That was an editorial change that Scott Lebdell did not write into the issue. Really? So hmm. he did not plan for that. So they, there is obviously an editorial plan for who Tim Drake's real? Yeah, what, because Tim Drake's they, real they never is. deal with it earlier in the book. You don't they really just call him Tim. Yeah, you don't know until that page. I didn't even catch it because it's such yeah. a minor thing. Yeah, Do you remember is, how yeah. uh, how when Jason Todd was Robin and he just really wasn't kind of working? You know, he wasn't clicking, and you know, thus the whole hey, maybe we kill the guy off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tim Drake really was firing on all cylinders. I don't know why you would choose to make such a profound change to his backstory when you had a character that was working. Yeah, it just seems like it. I mean, they're trying not to make it seem like he's watered down, but Tim having not figured out who Batman it's, was that that that's misses key. a lot. Yeah, that's key to his to his background. And one of the other keys to Tim was Jack Drake. Yeah, his relationship with his father. Yeah, his father finding out that he was Robin. Their interactions during that time that he knew, and then his death at the hands of uh, Boomerang. Those were all big Tim Drake. They were a big part of who Tim Drake was, and all of that is gone now. Yeah, Aaron, mm-hmm. you're from you're from Texas, right? Uh, yes, sir. I'm gonna need to borrow South Padre Island for for a while. I can help you out with that because I'm gonna reenact the most dangerous game. <laughs> and I'm going to take Scott LaBelle, and I'm going to pour honey all over him, and I'm going to set him loose on South Padre Island with about 3,000 wild black bears that haven't eaten anything in six months. I like it. That's what I want to do to Scott LaBelle. I like it. And if he wants to have a plus one because his editor decided to make it even crappier, I'll allow it. I, I, make I, your plus one. Bring I your Dan Dio. I don't I, give a crap. I think I can support this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so let's. So are, wait, we, are we done with we, Teen Titans? Because we're done not. With we're not because all God we've damn. talked about, all we've talked about is the changes. But I, I, I gotta admit, I, I liked the issue. Paul, you can be the plus one too. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I didn't think it was a bad issue. I mean, it, it's hard. It, don't get me wrong, because he my favorite pre New Fifty Two characters. It, it is hard to let go of my preconceived notions of Tim Drake. But if you are able to, or if you're not familiar with Tim Drake, it's not a bad book. And as much as it pains me to say it, I actually kind of agree with Paul here. If this were an Elseworlds story, I wouldn't have a problem. I enjoyed the story for what it was, except for Tim Drake's parents handing him over to Batman to raise him. That, that was just an Elseworlds story. If you don't have a freaking good character. Character is basically what I just Yeah, <sighs> if if it were not Elseworlds have enjoyed it a lot more than I did. 
Yeah, I mean, but you have to look at it as an Elseworlds. This is not the fifty-two. This is not the DC universe that you know we knew and loved from you know the eighties to whatever you know post crisis to to two thousand eleven. This is a different DC universe, and you know, for better or worse, this is the Tim Drake we're stuck with now. And you know, for this, I would say definitely for worse because I still don't like the character as much as I liked as I loved Tim Drake before, but. I mean, I yeah, I, I, I don't have a Tim edition. Drake now because he's not in any books that are worth reading. Yeah, yeah I, I got to be honest. At this point, if they kill him off during Death of the Family, I'm okay with it. Well, and along those lines, I don't feel like I have an amazing Spider-Man anymore. Is he dead let's to you? Talk about another, let's talk about another failure to launch. Um, oh my god, this issue I, was terrible. I, sorry, I, I just I I feel awful, you know, saying saying harsh things about you know a book that I have loved so much over the last two years, but. Holy crap, this book was terrible. Can yeah, I sound like the, uh, a battered wife for a second here? I'm well, actually gonna... excited for the next storyline. <laughs> we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man 694, the conclusion of the Alpha storyline. Uh-huh. Um, just just for our listeners, you know, listening pleasure. Yeah. Um, this This book, the whole Alpha storyline shouldn't have happened. Yeah, the Alpha I mean, storyline was horrible I, beginning to end. Yeah, I man, the the uh, it just I don't know. There, there was nothing organic about it. It didn't feel like a Spider-Man story. I don't like Spider-Man being pushed to a supporting character in his own book, and the Alpha character was not compelling enough to warrant so much story time being placed on him. Hey, absolutely hated everything about the Alpha series. Absolutely hated, in particular, this issue. And I gotta say, you know, I'm I'm generally a pretty big fan of Umberto Ramos. Um, I did not care for uh, uh, how he laid this book out. I did not care for a lot of what was going on on the panels. And you know, we do say this is the end of the Alpha storyline. I don't actually believe that. This is a break in the Alpha storyline because I I will be floored and shocked if Alpha isn't part of the issue 700. Yeah, I think this is basically set up for a depowered alpha. So issue 700, last issue of Amazing Spider-Man, I'm still going to stand by that I believe what we're looking at now is a depowered alpha uh, take Peter Parker. I do think that's what we're going to see in issue 700. I, I just I, have a feeling. I'm just really struggling with do I hang around for the next five issues. You might see, as well. Six. I'm not struggling with it because I'm excited about the Goblin story. As bad as this story is, I really am excited to see Roderick Kingsley come back as Hobgoblin. So I, I'm on board for the next issue just because of that. The Alpha story was horrible, and I, was, I wasn't I was even going to get this issue, but it was in my pool, and I was already putting back too many other books on the shelf. I didn't want to put this one back, too. But, yeah, I kept, I kept waiting. It's like, when is this Goblin story going to happen that they teased about before? Well, it's happening next. I'm, I'm actually about it, which means you know next i'll probably be talking about how disappointed i am but for now i'm excited well i uh i, I wow i hated this yeah i did i did not care for the alpha yeah. storyline at and, all and you know i don't mean to be mr you know nattering nabob of negativity but i hated ff number 22 yeah this book was serious ass I, god the uh Essentially, what FF22 does is tells you the kids' perspective of the story from Fantastic Four 610, 
And, you know, really all it does is rehash a lot of what you've already seen, you know, last month. Um, yeah. And the artwork is awful in this book. You know, yeah, you've, the you've only a, difference. As a reminder, what was the story in Fantastic? Fantastic Four uh, 610 had the FF traveling to the island that AIM bought, uh, Reed Richards becoming the ambassador to the AIM island, and uh, the wizard being uh, brought into custody. And so Bentley is the wizard's son, or clone? Clone or son? Well, clone. clone. Um and so there, there's a confrontation that occurs in the pages of, of FF610 between Bentley and the wizard that we get to see all over again in FF22. And again, you know, saw it last month. I'm just, yeah. I, you know, I used to really like, or I have previously really enjoyed how these two books complemented each other, but I don't want to see a rehash of what I've already read. I want to see the other story that didn't get told. And the... I was frustrated in this book and I was just skimming pages because I was like, well, I've read this, you know, I didn't need the big wizard fight again because we saw the big wizard fight last time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There was about a page worth of difference in this, in this book. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I just, Jonathan Hickman has one more issue on each title left. Right. Um, and I know the, the, you know, Oh, he set up the Bentley, so it was important for him to to see Bentley interact with the wizard and get that out of the way. But I do think it could have been resolved without the crossover. I, I yeah. feel this was a wasted issue. Yeah, I felt like it was resolved in Fantastic Four. You know that you didn't need the Future Foundation story to, to top it off. I, I just thought, really, it just felt like masturbation. You know, it just felt like this was was something meaningless. Um, you know, hollow and empty, and and really afterwards, I you know, I just w- was ashamed. So uh, <laughs> this was just an awful, awful book. Uh, hey, speaking of shameful, so uh, Tim Wayne and I read Grant Morrison and Derek Robertson's new book from Image, Happy. Uh, first issue came out this week. Why and, didn't uh, I realize this was a Grant Morrison book? That would have saved me some time. Because it reads like a Garth Ennis book. <laughs> so I I, I, I got to hear what you guys think about this book. I'm gonna let say I'm gonna let Tim go first here because he hasn't didn't read much this week. It doesn't sound like I'm missing a whole lot either. Um, so happy. Wow, this is a weird book. <laughs> yes, so, yes. So happy is. starts off. Happy starts off as a um. It kind of reads like a soprano kind of book where uh, there's a bunch of hitmen and a lot of swearing. And one of the guys uh, who used to be a former cop who's, you know, a loose cannon and down on his luck and all that stuff, he, he basically sets up the hitman and kills them. Why, we're not sure. But basically, um, he's trying to tie up some loose ends, is what we're getting. Yeah, and I will say I really enjoyed that part of the story. Yeah, that was that was interesting. That was interesting, and then things got fucking weird. So the the dude, uh, you know, he 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 takes some wounds from from this fight with these these four thugs, and he passes out, and he gets sent to this uh, this mobbed up hospital where they're basically going to put him in. You know, a medical induced coma, trying to beat the crap out of him to try to get information. 
And that's when a blue flying <laughs> mule shows up named Happy. I'm not even joking. That's what happened. Donkey with a blue donkey with wings. It may be a unicorn. It's whatever. It's little fair. It's a donkey with a unicorn sawhorn and little wings, little fairy wings. Yeah, and the the um, the Mel Gibson character can basically he's the only one that can see him. And it's kind of setting up that they're going to have this kind of relationship where the thing gives him uh, hints because the donkey was basically like, if you don't get up, you are so screwed is basically what the donkey says. You know, it's the best way I can describe this to anybody listening that hasn't read this book. It's like you're eating a bowl of like vanilla ice cream. And then mid bite, you realize you've bitten into some blue moon or something. And it's like, what the hell just happened? It's like, but blue moon's not bad. But what the hell? <laughs> That's kind of what happened to me with Abby. It was the it, same way here. I'm reading it. It has one feel to it. And then you turn the page and there's this little blue thing. It's not that the that part of the story was necessarily bad or horrible or anything. It's just where the hell did that come from? It is. It's, it's like you're watching The Sopranos, and half hour into the episode, Roger Rabbit super- shows up. That yes. was my exact thought. It was Roger <laughs> Rabbit. Um, and again, it's not bad. It's actually not a bad book. It's just very jarring. Yeah, weird, jarring. But I think that's the point. I mean, you know, he wakes up from his, you know, his injuries and either he's been drugged up or whatever, but supposedly this is his childhood imaginary friend that's acting essentially like his Jake Ellis. If you guys remember who is Jake Ellis, there's someone on the other side of the door. You got to get out of here now. I mean, it's essentially like that, except it's a blue unicorn donkey thing. But here's the thing. I, it's me, Jake Happy the Horse. I'm your new partner, partner. <laughs> you have the first half of the book cussing and violence and all of this. And then, you know, it's happy the horse. I I want to read the next one. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. I want to read the next one. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was fun. I mean, I liked it. I, I enjoyed both halves of the book. And uh, I'm curious to see where, it, where it's going to go. You know, hopefully it's not going to go typical Grant Morrison crap. But, uh, I mean, I think it's different enough, and I think he's doing something different enough that I'm going to enjoy it. Like I, I do have to say, out of everything I've seen Grant Morrison do, this is not one of them. It's kind of like, you know, Saga has this level of weird, but if you're, like, turned off by the, the robot heads having sex and sextillion and stuff like that, this is this you're getting the same kind of weird from this, I think. It feels like you were reading a Punisher book, and then they accidentally printed in Saga for the last half of it. It's yeah, it's like the Punisher and Captain Carrot had a crossover. That's exactly what this book is. Like Very the Punisher, weird. like Punisher meets Archie with the cuss words in it. I um, read yeah, Punisher yeah. meets Archie actually. <laughs> That's no, something I, you should never admit. True, but I mean Derek Robertson. You know he he used to be the artist on The Boys. So I mean, you, you kind of know what the art you're you're in for. I mean, I like his art; it works very much for the crime part, and it's just it's it's a very different book, um, but enjoyable. I think it's only a four issue miniseries, 
But I'm 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 definitely on board for issue two. I, I want to see where it goes. Yeah. All right. So you get. Uh... You guys read Justice League Dark Zero this week. Which tells the, the origin story of John Constantine's trench coat. Does it? It does. Didn't you read this book, Paul? I did read this book. What when when did that happen? It happened because he he takes the uh the uh trench coat from his dead mentor. Oh that's right, that's right. You're right, you're right. God, Paul. Sorry. Not much on the whole reading comprehension, are you? Nah. What nah. the hell? Are you, mm. Paula Ponte reads at a fourth grade reading level. Johnston Constantine was <laughs> in this book? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is pretty much the origin of John Constantine's coat. Yep. Yep. Well, it also, you know, it it tells how John Constantine and Zatanna uh, basically met and uh, hooked up and, you know, th- their history and why they're kind of uh, – why they have such an odd relationship right now in the DC right. universe. Right. And, uh, ooh, Zaytana. Good stuff. Yeah. So did you like the, the issue, Paul? You know what? I, I really did. And I, um, we talked a little bit about how I'm not a hundred percent familiar with John Constantine. Nor am I. But, uh, so I don't know how closely this aligns with whatever has, whatever he, he did to learn magic in the vertigo universe. Right. But, um, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was well written. I, I I liked it. It, it was uh, it's the type I like this type of story where it's like this detective and he's learning magic and you know there's that other world of magic, uh, it, it, kind of like a Clive Barker Lord of Illusions type thing. I like that kind of story. So I enjoyed this book very much. I, I will say that there was not near enough uh, Zaytana in Fishnets. Agreed. agreed. Or which, and she was or, wearing them on her arms. Which yes, and I, doesn't th- make any that is the wrong place to wear your fishnet stockings. Um, you know, uh, anywhere else. That's right. But not there. But uh, but yeah, you know, I did enjoy the book. I I, I felt like the art was uh, adequate. Um, yeah, it, it, did, it wasn't it, the strong art that we've seen from the title. I would agree. Um, and and you know, I, I I didn't feel like it hurt the story. Um, but it's but it. It required the writing to overcome some stuff. Um, you know, there there are just there are some there's the 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 book is so talky um, that it, you're you're really requiring the prose to carry you through simply for the fact that there's just not a lot of energy on the page in terms of the artwork. So you know, fortunately, uh, we've got some fantastic writing in uh, in uh, Jeff Lemire here. Uh, but you know, I just I, I felt like Lee Garbett just didn't didn't bring uh, enough energy to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, I think it, it was. You know, we talk about comic booky art versus you know more stylized art. I think something more stylized and less comic booky mm-hmm. would have worked better for this book. A little, you know, something a little darker. I, you know, the 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 layouts just seemed rather mundane on most of it. You know, mm-hmm. certainly you, you've got some some uh, interesting layouts when they're kind of talking about uh, their time together as a coven, uh, which I thought was interesting. But really, that was those those two pages where they're kind of doing that that flashback, and you see uh, Constantine's mentor kind of losing it. Um, those are really the only thing in the book that really had a real artistic uh, 
bent to it. Everything else just seemed square panel, square panel, you know, uh, four panel layout, five panel layout. I mean, it just uh, you didn't see a whole bunch of, of uh, you know, uh, much of anything interesting on the page. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's it, visually, it's not the most interesting book, no, but it's exactly. an interesting story. Yeah, I thought the story was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it, I think it added something to the Justice League Dark stories. Um, I just the the artwork just didn't do it for me. Whereas in the main title, you know, the 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 the, the, the regular numbering that we've been reading recently, I think the artwork on those pages is terrific. So, agree. Yeah, interesting. So. You so, you and Wayne voted Cap in for president this week. That's right, Captain America for president. Right, best right, Wayne? president ever. That's right, that's right. I do need to see. You know, in the Ultimate Universe, you know, America, the nation is uh, in shambles. You've got you know different nation states operating within the continental United States, um, and so Captain America has become captain by. Uh, acclamation um and i just need to see a presidential shield on his uh on his costume i need to see that presidential seal you know see now this is what we need in a president a guy who looks at the country falling apart looks at the problems and just goes in and punches those problems yeah you know can you imagine if we had you know uh Captain America as president during the banking crisis and he just went down and just started hammering some of those guys with a shield yeah i mean when this when this whole thing starts here, you've got a dictator running Detroit. The Western Seaboard is off in its own country. Texas has you know has separated itself, and in this one issue, Captain America goes through and they fix California, they fix Detroit, they fix North and North Carolina where there's a civil war going on. They've basically fix a good portion of the country in one issue yeah because he just shows up and deals with it because he's motherfucking captain america yeah. president captain america congress tries to get in his way so what does he do he gets in a plane and he goes and deals with the situation and crashes his plane into him that's yeah. what i find yeah, that is the way you deal with congress you just crash your plane into him senate, um, senate oversight committee <laughs> fuck you i'm crashing my plane into you that's what Bill Clinton should have done during that whole impeachment thing. He and should he have has, just crashed his plane into somebody. He has his spies <laughs> in the room, everyone plotting against them, yeah. just waiting, waiting for them to incriminate themselves. Okay, you've done it. Now, now I'm taking over. So Wayne no, Aaron just signed himself up for some uh, criminal watch list <laughs> with that conversation, right? <laughs> so uh, Wayne, who's your choice for vice president? You know that is a tough call. I. Uh, I'm thinking Carol. But, you know, she's chief of staff. Yeah. He's already made her chief of staff. So, you know, we're talking about Carol Danvers in the Ultimate Universe as, as his chief of staff. So, Nick you know. Fury. I, I thought they were talking about Carol Burnett. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Nick Fury then. Maybe the Falcon is his vice president. I love Tony. I, you know, trying to get himself in that position. And uh, Cap's response of, you talk to your tumor. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. I I don't know who we're going to get for vice president. I am assuming it's going to be some sort of super powered person. Uh, and you know, my votes for the Falcon. So there you go. Ultimate Falcon. Ultimate Captain America. You know, I this is a ticket I can get behind. That's yeah, Squirrel I, Girl. Honestly, when I heard the storyline 
when I heard they were making him president, I kind of cringed. I shouldn't have because I've enjoyed everything they've done with the Ultimate stuff since this big relaunch thing. Uh But still, just the idea seems so out there. Yeah. But I'm I really like the issue, and I like the last issue when he was given the news. Well, don't, I, you 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 probably don't remember this, but you know they did a whole you know cap for president. What I want to say it was like around seventy six. Um, yeah, but it just doesn't work in modern day. You, it doesn't seem like it would. But it does but in it this is. setting. It works. Yeah. It would not work in in the six one six, but it does work in the ultimate setting where you know the nation's just falling apart, and you know people will gather around a war hero such yeah. as Captain America. And this was a special election. It wasn't a normal one. Right. Cap wasn't running for president. Yeah. It's just the uh, there he were w- people that were trying to be president, and he was going out and fixing things, and he was on TV. So everyone that's voting does this right in campaign for yeah. captain america no i liked it i liked it i, I like the uh, they actually give him the title at one point captain president america yeah <laughs> president cap i love it yeah. again need a presidential seal on that costume maybe right <laughs> in the middle of the shield you can put it in the middle of the star or you could put it you know he's got those ridiculous red stars on each shoulder you could just replace those with the presidential seal that would work you know and I just I, I just need to see him, you know, uh, busting up some, uh, you know, some criminals with his, uh, you know, presidential shield uh, yeah. seal. So and we take we take a lot of flack from the rest of the guys in the podcast about the ultimate stuff, but it is really good. Yeah, it is. The ultimate universe is better than the regular Marvel universe. Well, I, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not signing <laughs> off on that, chief. But I will say that the ultimates are awfully good. You, you remember reading Amazing Spider-Man this week. Okay, but you know, one turd doesn't uh, t- doesn't ruin the entire universe. And FF this week. Okay, look, if you're going to hold me up to facts, I really <laughs> have nothing to support my case here. Now, I'm not saying it'll be better after Marvel Now comes out because I am really excited about Marvel Now. But at the moment, I am enjoying the ultimate stuff. Uh, but you're you're excited about Marvel Now, but you're not excited about Marvel Now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of turds, next week Avengers versus X Men number twelve comes out. Uh, <laughs> Finally, concluding uh, storyline. Add that as one of my other reasons there. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron, sir, will you be reading uh, Daredevil End of Days number one with me next week? I will. Sweet. Yes, I will. Is anybody going to read Detective Comics, the first issue written and, and, by John Lehman? And let's before we do that, let's clarify what it, uh, Daredevil End of Days is. It's the final Daredevil story told by Brian Michael Bendis, right? Correct. With David Mack, is that right? I believe it's Bill Sienkiewicz. Is it Sienkiewicz? Okay, I, 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 I thought, thought it was Sienkiewicz. Maybe he's Mack doing was coming. I thought Mack was coming back to do the interiors, but. But whatever, we'll figure that out. But yeah, I really enjoyed the Bendis uh, run on Daredevil, so I'm awfully excited about this. And this I is going to be one of those ridiculous books that I buy in floppy and buy it again in hardback. If it's good, yeah. yes. So, okay, what was the second book you were talking about, Paul? The second book was um, Detective Comics number 13, the first issue by John Lehman. Um, I, I got you know, I... I have not been enjoying Detective Comics, so I am going to give this a shot and hope that uh, uh, I get a completely different feel because, you know, I I picked up uh, uh, Detective in hardcover, the first volume, and man, that is a hard, hard book to get through. Yeah, it is. It is. But, I mean, John Lehman, I I enjoy John Lehman. And I can see John Lehman writing a really good Batman story, so I'm going to give the, the first issue a shot. Yeah. 
So, um, Danger Club number four comes out next week. Woo! Green Lantern number 13. The uh, start of the rise of the third army. Green Lantern has been so good, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Aaron, just to clarify, Daredevil End of Days is written by Bendis and David Mack with art by Klaus Jansen and Bill Sienkiewicz. Holy shit, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I will definitely be picking that up. Uh, Is anyone picking up Minimum Carnage? What the Um, fuck does that mean? (laughs) You know, that's a very good question. Because it is is, part of the tie-in. It's like the the launch for the tie-in between Venom and uh, Scarlet, Scarlet Spider. Spider. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll i be getting it just because I really enjoy Scarlet Spider. Yeah, it, it, the, the, the next couple of months, uh, Minimum Carnage will be a crossover between Venom and uh, Scarlet Spider. So, and you remember Aaron. that thing I was talking about, about how I want to get Scarlet Spider? Yeah. I'm a little out now. <laughs> you know, I have heard the Venom title is really good, but I've had no desire to pick it up. So as much as I hate that I'm going to be picking up a title that I didn't originally plan on, you know, just for the crossover, I I have a little, little grain of hope that I might start enjoying it. I've, I've heard Rocky Mountain Oysters are good, too, but I'm not having those either. Oh, those are great. You should get some. It's terrible. Scarlet Spider has been really good, though, so I don't think Venom can drag that down too much. So speaking of balls, Paul's put this off long enough. Ah. It's kind of balls. Paul? So we're going to do – we'll do a little flashback to last week where uh, we, uh, we we had a, we had a gentleman's agreement. That, mm-hmm. uh, who has there were no gentlemen involved, team. though. <laughs> no, no gentlemen involved. That uh, whoever fantasy football team loses has to sing on this podcast. So I decided to um, I, I decided to uh, make it let's make a deal style, Paul. Mm-hmm. So you can have door number one, door number two, or door number three. Wait, do you have a pair of women's panties in your uh, in your pocket? Why would I? Well, okay, well that's what they do on Let's Make a Deal. Yeah, it's so, something strange. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Oh my god. I'm gonna go with door number three. Oh, door number three. Paul picks door number three. Well what was door behind number door number one? Uh, <laughs> well, door number door number one. Here I'll send you the link, Paul. There you go. Door number one was uh Ozzy Osbourne and uh the paranoid lyrics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was behind door number two? Door number two was tomorrow from the uh, show show tune Annie. Uh huh. As in the sun will come out. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, why and, couldn't he have picked door number two? And then I almost did. But you selected door number three, Paul. Show us what's behind door number three, Tim. Paul. <laughs> and I want the finger snaps in here too. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's really this, hard. This, tie, this ties to a uh, uh, my my thought that Paul really loves his holiday. If there's one thing I can do in this bet, I can try to make Paul not like Halloween. <laughs> Paul. All right. Are you ready? I'm doing the Paul dance. Hit it, Paul. Is anybody going to sing? Is anybody going to do the music for me? I'll do the finger snaps with you. Okay. They're creepy and they're kooky. Mysterious and spooky. They're all together, Uki. The Adams family. Their house is a museum where people come to see them. They really are a scream. The Adams family. Neat. Sweet. Petite. 
<laughs> so get your witch's shawl on, a broomstick you can crawl on. We're gonna pay a call on the Adams family. Da na na I had to mute my mic for most of that just so I wouldn't ruin it with the laughter. Paul, you're a man of your word. I, I try to be. And your team sucks. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> and Tim really wasn't that vicious with you. I would have much more horrible things for you to sing. It, it could have been worse. You, you know, tomorrow really would have been terrible. <laughs> I uh, uh, My wife was really pushing hard for something from Rocky Horror. It's like, I don't want to... Well, but Paul, you know, uh, it'd be really awkward to look Paul in the face after he sang "Sweet Transvestite." Yeah, Paul I, is I, a sweet transvestite, guy. though. So, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> if I gave him three doors, Greased Lightning would be behind one of them. <laughs> uh, it's Raining Men would be behind another. I'm not even sure what the last one would be, but those yeah. are my door number one and two. I did, I did, I did take it easy because Paul's my Paul's my friend. <laughs> I appreciate. Well, you know, that. we play we play each other again later on in the season, Paul. So. So uh, maybe I should pay attention and, uh, <laughs> and actually trade out people on my team and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think possible. I'll be doing. You know, it might be nice if you if you woke the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, no shit. And Gambit too, Paul. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron could give a crap, and Paul's asleep at the wheel. So that's a great spot to end the podcast on. We'll talk to you guys next week. Catch you later. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.